In the next 30 years, worldwide, we expect 13.7 million children to be diagnosed with cancer. And in our current situation, sadly, over 11 million of these children are not expected to survive. This is devastating. However, there is reason to be hopeful because it has been estimated that more than half of these deaths can be prevented by comprehensive scale-up of cancer care. In this episode, we learn more about developing childhood cancer services in Tanzania with a particular focus on collaboration. Keep listening to find out more. The Global Oncology Podcast is a series of interviews conducted by myself, Dr. Katie Piddock, with experts in the field of global oncology. This is the second part of our interview with Dr. Kristin Schrader, a paediatric oncologist and assistant professor at Duke Global Health Institute. In part one, we heard about Dr. Schrader's impressive research into barriers to childhood cancer care in Tanzania and how their team has already managed to double survival. I'm not a big funder, but if I was, I'd certainly be sending some money their way. So if you're listening, Bill and Melinda Gates, check it out. In this episode, we learn more about developing the paediatric cancer services and the role of eye care, an NGO that Dr. Schrader co-founded. We dive straight back into the interview, so to get the most out of it, have a listen to part one on our website, globaloncologypodcast.com, where you will also find key references with each episode. Please do get in touch and let us know what you think. You can tweet us at Global Onc Pod, and we can now be found on iTunes, SoundCloud and Spotify. Welcome to the Global Oncology Podcast. Maybe you could tell me a little bit more about how cancer care works in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. And I know you've mentioned before that you've got some really good collaborations across the country. I think that Tanzania is relatively unique in that we have three main referral hospitals and so three sites that treat pediatric cancer in the country. All three main referral hospitals, we collaborate on most things. We have shared protocols that we use across sites. We have shared data. We have shared resources. So we're able to send pathology to one site and then have the results sent back. We share patients. If there's a treatment that's available at one site that's not at the other, we're able to very easily transfer patients between. And I think it's a really fantastic collaborative group in that everyone really wants to have the same outcome, which is better cancer care for the children here in Tanzania. And so we've worked with setting up satellite clinics, so Mambea, Sangarema, Shirati Hospital, Zanzibar. So other sites are now involved in working towards this group effort across the country. And it's not just one site driving and one site dominating. It's truly a collaborative and shared everything across the board. It allows you to actually provide better care because there aren't the same barriers that you might experience where if you have a university or you have a group that's working with one site but not another you may have more resources at one site versus another here while that exists on some level the reality is that those barriers are broken down because we collaborate so well together that if there is something we're able to all partake in that and get the best care that sounds great it works well 
And I think it's really lovely in the end that we are all able to work collaboratively. Mm. Where did that come from? Because obviously that would sure. be useful for loads of centers. Honestly, so it sort of arrived from, there was one site in the country at Mambili Hospital and Trish Scanlon was there with her NGO and a lot of support from the UK and Ireland. And they had a, they still do, they have a fantastic program that had been built there. And so when we started our program here, which was the second site in Tanzania to start pediatric cancer training, naturally I reached out to their site to get ideas and see what they were doing and to work together and to learn from their experience. And then when KCMC, which is the third site, started their pediatric, they came to Bugondo to see what we were doing, to learn from us, to see how we were developing, how we started the patient navigation program and these different things. Same went to, to Mumbili to see what they were doing. So the three main sites, we've all learned from each other and grown kind of organically one after the next. And so as a result, we're all very close and work well together because we all originated with the same intent, which is to create a program that would provide care for the kids. And so I think that's the the reason why we have such mm. a strong collaboration across the country is that we all kind of develop together. Mm. It's sort of always been that way. Mm -hmm. From the from, origin, from, from each of the three sites. Starting, mm -hmm. yeah. It was sort of built in that we were built as a collaborative entity. Mm. We call ourselves Teapot, Tanzanian Pediatric Oncology Team. <laughs> so that is our country collaboration. That's great. <laughs> there are obviously a lot of places within Sub-Saharan Africa which don't have oncology centers or where oncology centers are being set up. So that is useful sure. to hear how important that is for you guys and Tanzania in the background. Tanzania. Ambulances. Um, but it is. And I, and I think that, you know, if anyone was interested in actually setting up pediatric cancer protocols or pediatric cancer centers or just even treatment at a center that's already established, I think that the most important things that I would recommend is one, finding out what exists, talking to the local stakeholders, who's providing cancer care now, is there anyone, um, what ideas do they have, what the barriers do they see finding others who are doing successful programs in similar resourced areas, go see what they're doing, experience it, take something from there back and fit it into the context of where you will be setting up this. Because you can't do the same thing. I can't do the same thing that's being done in Mambili, but we've taken ideas from there and adapted it to our own context here at Bugando and found things that work. And so but it, it is that sharing of ideas, experiencing different centers that do things successfully and taking that and putting it into your own context. Brilliant, well thank you for all the advice. The cool thing about pediatric oncology is it involves basically every aspect of the hospital, right? So you have to have surgeons, you have to have oncologists, radiation oncologists, radiologists, pharmacists, everybody, pediatrics, pathology, everyone is involved. And so if you are focusing on one disease, you are able to kind of work and build capacity amongst all these different groups. So it's, that's been kind of neat as well as we've gone along is we're not just paying for things, we're looking at how do we improve across the board so that maybe we help one child but in the future you're able to help 10. Yeah, so. quite often I 
hear that stated as a barrier in a way that it, to improve cancer care, you need to improve everything. But actually, that's also an incredible opportunity. It's a definite opportunity because it really is one of the few specialties that cross-cuts so many fields and involves pretty much every aspect of the hospital in order to provide best care. And so it does mean that in order to get a better diagnosis, you need to have immunohistochemistry and you need to have awareness of different types of tumors and what they look like. It means that you have to have someone that has the skills to remove the tumors when you find them. Somebody that can mix the chemotherapy appropriately. You have to have a radiologist that is able to differentiate you know, whether this is a mass coming from the kidney versus a mass that is coming from the adrenal gland. And so it's, it really pushes everyone to gain new skills. And the hope is, as everyone is sort of learning these new skills, it's then transferred to their own patients. So maybe they're learning more about how to differentiate these pediatric tumors, but then it might help them doing a surgical procedure for an adult who has something else, and that you're, you learn certain skills that are transferable to other situations. Mm. And also that must have been terrible coming here in 2014 and the survival being 20%. But again, you know, there's so much opportunity. If we think about some of the new interventions or drugs, the proportion of improvement that people gain from them, right. and we can gain so much improvement <laughs> from things that already exist. That's, and that's extremely true. When we think about it, so my job in the US, it's very small changes, meaningful ones, but small ones. Whereas here, the changes are small in what's needed. You know, having a single person that asks people if, hey, are there any patients here who might have cancer? If that is going to <laughs> make a huge impact on survival with that alone and reduce the time to diagnosis, it's a very simple intervention that can be done anywhere and with huge possibilities of gain. It's an odd place to be sometimes when I switch back and forth between the U.S. and working here because many times you just think differently, right? You have to. Here it's you're not focused on the individual oftentimes, it's more use the public health background and that you think, okay, how do I help this patient? But in a broader sense, how do I improve the infrastructure based on the experience with this one patient? Where in the US, I'm not going to change the infrastructure very much, but I can still help the one patient. <laughs> so I may not have quite as big of an impact, but. <laughs> but still important. Important. Still important. <laughs> Certainly big to the patients you're treating, I'm sure. Exactly. There's a lot of opportunity there is. And in there's, the field. And there, I like to think that more people should get involved. And, and the groups that can, I think, get more involved with doing global oncology or global cancer work, there are many people that have incredible knowledge and skills and experience that maybe aren't as active in day-to-day -day patient care anymore. People that are heads of departments and other things or people that are retired but have a wealth of knowledge. They could be incredible mentors for physicians here. People can get involved by just thinking about the problem, coming, experiencing, seeing what exists, and using your own knowledge and your own history and what you've seen and applying it in a different situation with the potential to make a huge impact. So that I think the more people that are from all fields, like I said, every field is involved in cancer care, the more people that kind of get involved and are interested in coming. And you don't need to spend six months a year to make a difference. I think as long as you are working with an established group that has the investment in local capacity building, there are opportunities 
in all different specialties to build the care we've been talking about. You're already getting into it, but I was going to ask you about tips for people that are interested in global oncology. It sounds like you would advise people to get practical experience. Any thoughts? Practical experience, um, for sure. And I think it depends on how you would like to be involved and what you would like to do. I think to make a long-standing, lasting impact, it's good to either be here long-term, be working here, or work with others that are. And so working with an institution that is building capacity and doing things, and so whether it's the university or medical schools or NGOs that are there, um, I think then you're contributing to something that is an ongoing process and I have opportunity to build. I don't think that you have to be here full time, but if you can, it's probably the most effective way to transfer knowledge and to continue for sustainable knowledge transfer um, and skills transfer. And talking about knowledge transfer, I think it works both ways, but I wonder if you've got experience of that. Sure. I think the, one of the biggest things that I learn from here, going back into the US, is that you know my practice there, we oftentimes order many different tests. And here, I'm forced to really go back to the basics of medicine, looking at your physical exam, making educated decisions, looking at the signs, looking at the symptoms, ordering selected tests, and not just everything that's on a panel because you can. So it really makes me think about cost-effective medications in medicine, how to practice it. So when I'm in the US, I am much more aware of which tests I'm ordering, why, um, how is it going to help me in my clinical decision-making. I have noticed that some of the unique stuff here, I don't know if it's necessarily unique to Tanzania, but certainly things that I've seen here that I think is great is the community building that you see. So one of the things I love is that you'll have a child who's maybe sick and then other moms or other family members or other people kind of come and help and they bond together. So you have this whole sense of community a lot that I don't see as much in the U.S. and I see much more here, which is kind of nice to then bring back to the U.S. and do more parent groups and do more opportunities for people to interact and form their own sense of community because I do think that it helps the healing process and I think it does help support for the kids as well as for the families. point for me to ask you a slightly more personal question <laughs> if that's okay just about how it must be really tough sometimes and frustrating seeing kids who yeah. you think should survive there's all the treatment available in the world for them to survive and just them yeah not, I not think getting that so I didn't mention this before but one of the driving factors that pushed us to create eye care is there was when I first came here actually my very first patient when I was here was a 10-year-old young girl who had leukemia, and it was one of those cases that sticks with you. And she came in, we were able to diagnose her based on looking at her smear, we were able to start her on treatment. She, at one point, developed fever and was neutropenic, so we very quickly started antibiotics and gave her fluids and brought her back and it was one of those moments where people realized that you can do some very simple interventions and make a big difference in outcomes. And unfortunately, after that, 
they weren't able to pay their hospital bill for discharge. And I remember the father coming to me and he had gotten a special license to be able to beg to get funds to pay the hospital bill and to pay the antibiotics that she needed and got the money to be able to do this. She recovered, was discharged, and then the next cycle, unfortunately, she also was admitted with fever neutropenia. And I remember the father coming to the office and he was in tears because he said that he did not have any money and he wanted to save his child and do anything possible that they could because he saw that she responded so well before. Um, and that's where we started eye care and that we needed something that we could provide for families so that we could do basic, not extraordinary, just basic care for these children so that they had the same chance of cure as anyone else. And so it, she got better. But then unfortunately her hemoglobin, she came back and her hemoglobin was 3.5 and we needed a blood transfusion and blood was not available. And we needed, um, at the time they had to pay, I think it was about the equivalent of one US dollar to get the cross match in order to get the blood. The family didn't have it. And so there was a delay in her blood and she eventually died because she didn't get a blood transfusion. So that was sort of a, an extreme moment of frustration for me because it wasn't because of the cancer. It wasn't the leukemia per se. It was the anemia and the lack of infrastructure and ability to provide that and then the cost and everything else that sort of the organizational barriers that we've chatted before about. And so that was sort of the impetus for, for starting this because we realized that we needed more. We needed to have the ability to provide that basic care. Where do you see it going? I mean, it's done loads of great stuff already, and you've got the data to prove that, which is great. Where do you see it going in the short term? And then if you could just do anything you'd want <laughs> to do with it, what sort of things would you want to do? Sure, so short-term things, looking at the direction of kind of what we've done, and I think the things that we've found that work, right? The things that matter. I think it makes more sense to focus on the community outreach, the awareness to kind of focus on that supportive care infrastructure and building it, expanding on what we have right now. And I think that if I had a perfect world, all the funds at my disposal, I would love to have a place, a hospital location within the current infrastructure where the kids can go and get care. We can provide training for specialized nurses. We can provide training for um, physicians to get extra either courses, exposure, training in pediatric oncology so that we're able to better treat children. And then looking at it on a broader spectrum, one thing we don't have is child life. I would love to have somebody who comes and is able to do projects with the kids so that they can be kids mm. and forget what it's like to be different for a little while and just have fun and do an art project while they're waiting for their chemo, while they're waiting for lab results. Doing that, having someone who could set up programs at the hostel. So parents who are there who may have to disrupt their life for two months to come here to get treatment, they have something that they can do. Maybe if it's learning a certain skill set, if it's learning how to become community educators about cancer, maybe they can go out into the community and actually 
educate others to increase awareness. And I think I would love for eye care to be able to help guide that project and increase the awareness in the communities. Yeah, I think if gosh. I could do anything, I would very much like to. They're not very, it's not huge. It's not a simple change or a simple thing, but I think a small change like that um, and having the ability to actually create the infrastructure that is needed without the added restrictions of current capacity and limitations that we have. Do you mean building capacity as in having more nurses? I think it's a combination of if you're able to create your ideal location and your ideal situation so that when patients come in you have the staffing to actually provide best care meaning that right now there might be one nurse for 10 patients it would be fantastic if we we're able to provide a way to increase capacity so maybe you have one nurse for three patients because these are high demand patients that often have a lot of medications that are needed fluids protocols things that have to be followed and so finding a way to offset the resource limitations that exist to be able to provide best care within the current infrastructure would be amazing. Brilliant. Well, thank you for all the advice. Is there anything that you want to add? So I will say people always ask me, why do I do this? Mm. And I will say the reason why I do it is I have a strong belief that every child should have the same chance of cure no matter where in the world they live. And so I think that by being here and by working as a large group of people that are all working towards the same goal, we're making that little bit of difference each day towards that goal. Big difference. That's the hope. <laughs> <laughs> One day at a time. Big difference. <laughs> well, I think we should probably end there. Okay. I just want to say thank you so much for talking, and I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it and get a lot out of it. I will, of course, give details of, you know, where people can learn more about you and what you're doing here, and of course, eye care. If anyone wants to donate, they've heard about what eye care are doing out here, so they'd know exactly where their money was going. And yeah, just thank you so much for giving me a bit of your time. Thank you for uh, giving a platform and an opportunity to, for more people to learn about global oncology and the potential impact that people can have. Thank you so much for listening. Check out iCare's website at i-c-c-a-r-e.org to find out more or to donate. We have more episodes to come, so follow us on Twitter at Global Oncpod or check out our website, globaloncologypodcast.com, where we also share key references with each episode. If you're new to the podcast, have a listen to our previous episodes exploring the field of global oncology, including radiation oncology, and plenty about how you can get involved. I've been your host, Dr. Katie Piddock, and you've been listening to the Global Oncology Podcast. <laughs>